0: Or your clear word and the Lord in the midst of all kinds of confusion and misrepresentation Lord, the truth is in you and I pray that tonight you will help us to see the difference between Christianity and Islam, the Crusades and Islamic Jihad. And I thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes and helping us to be an informed people so that we can answer those who ask us about this in Jesus name amen turn to your neighbor and tell them it's going to be good tonight it's going to be good tonight all right I'm looking for that up there I don't see it yet Tyler there we go everybody happy tonight right when you think it's spring it gets cold again what's that about amen All right, here we go. The truth about Islamic Jihad. Now, and, of course, my clicker isn't working. Sorry, y'all. The devil fights us on nights like this. So do I need to wait for you to run down, Tyler? Okay. Now, at a prayer breakfast on Thursday, February the 5th, President Obama said in response to the recent Burning Alive, God forbid of a Jordanian pilot by ISIS, which I've never watched. I won't watch it because they want me to watch it, so I don't watch it. But some of you did. Now, unless we get on our, this is what he said, quote, he said this to 2,500 Christian attendees at a Christian prayer breakfast. President Obama said, unless we get on our high horse and think that this is unique to some other place, Remember that during the Crusades and the Inquisition, people committed terrible deeds in the name of Christ. In our home country, now why he went to this, I don't know. Slavery and Jim Crow all too often was justified in the name of Christ. So it is not unique to one group or one religion. Now I'm going to read that last part again. If you can go back, there we go. I'm going to try it. Oh, I like that when it works. (laughs) It is not unique to one group or one religion. Now, what you have there is what we call moral equivalency. It is saying um, what is happening right now in the name of Islamic Jihad is no worse than what Christians have done in the past. That's what it is. It's not unique. This Islamic Jihad, it's not unique to one group, Or one religion. Now I would contend it's very unique to one. Now I'm not here to smash a a religion. I know there are many, many, many um, peaceful Muslim people, but I'm going to show you in just a moment. Let's just get right into it. Now these statements rightly set off a firestorm of response from both Christians and other concerned Americans and other countries around the world. So let's look first at the birth of Islam, then compare its history to the history of the Christian Crusades. Because we need to understand this religion that is so grabbing our media and headlines and that is committing, or at least those who say they cleave to it, so many atrocities in the world. And it's only going to get worse. So let's look at it. Islam dates from the time of the last 10 years, the life of its founder, Muhammad Ibn Abdullah, or simply the, quote, prophet, end quote, Muhammad. I do not consider him a prophet, but millions do. He was born around 570 A.D. in the city of Mecca, which is now located in Saudi Arabia. Muhammad was orphaned early in his life And tradition says that he was raised by his grandfather, who also died, and then his uncle Abu Talib raised Muhammad. By age 25, Muhammad was a poor man until he married a wealthy widow named Khadijah, age 41. His wife, Khadijah, gave him love, wealth, leisure, and an influential position in Meccan society. He had two sons who died in infancy and four daughters. This is the founder of Islam we're talking about. At about the age of 40, Muhammad is said to have begun to see visions and receive revelations from the angel Gabriel. He was familiar with the Old Testament. So he said, uh, Gabriel visited me. And he was in a cave, supposedly, when this happened several times. Gabriel visited me and gave me revelations. Now, it was at this time that he began preaching publicly against the multiplicity of idols that were worshipped in Mecca's central shrine. So, in Mecca, they were polytheists. They were worshippers of many gods, not monotheists, worshippers of one. For his, Muhammad's, monotheistic beliefs, he became an enemy to many, particularly of the merchants whose wealth stem from the sale of idols. What he was preaching hit them in their pocketbook so they didn't like him. So Muhammad and his many followers were forced to leave Mecca for Medina. And Medina means city of the prophet. It was named Medina for him. And it was a mainly Jewish city when he first went, 280 miles north of Mecca. So he made a 280-mile journey out of Mecca, to Medina. It was named another city. I can't remember what it was named, but once he'd been there for a while, they changed it and named it Medina after him. From that time, it took Muhammad only 10 years to build his band of followers into a strong army, which conquered nearly all of Central and Western Arabia. At the end of this message, I'm going to show you a video of how fast this religion spread really prodigiously Muhammad who had been previously cast out of Mecca returned to Mecca less than a decade later and made it his capital that's why they all turn towards Mecca and pray now if anything Muhammad was a strong military leader I want you to catch that Muhammad conquered by the sword Yet he considered himself to be the prophet of Allah, and as such, he founded Islam, which he taught was a return to the pure worship of the one true God of guess who? Abraham. See, Muhammad believed that God's true path came not from Isaac and the lineage of Christ, but from Ishmael, the firstborn son of Hagar, to Abraham. When Abraham disobeyed God's command, we all know the story, to wait for a child to be born of his aging wife, Sarah, they took matters into their own hands and decided, let's help God out, and you know the rest of the story. Ishmael was born. Uh, Muhammad claimed that God's true promise ran through Ishmael, not Isaac. And of course, Ishmael was the father of the Arab nations, okay? This connection to Ishmael is crucial to understanding the Islamic religion. Muhammad considered Abraham to be his father. And thus, the religion he founded was to be not so much a new thing. I'm not not founding a new thing, but a return to the worship of the one true God of his father. And that's how he spun it. We're returning to the real truth of the matter that the blessing ran through Ishmael and Abraham is my, Muhammad's father, that is my spiritual root. And I came through Ishmael. It's important to note that the name given to God by Muhammad, Allah, does not find its roots in the true worship of Abraham, but in pagan traditions. Catch this now. It's very important. Allah corresponded to the Babylonian God Baal. And Arabs knew of him long before Muhammad worshipped him as the true God. Baal. He corresponded to Baal. And and what was the scourge of Israel and, and much of the attention of the Old Testament focused on? Baalism. Allah was the god of the local Kurdish tribe, which was Muhammad's tribe, before he invented Islam to lead his people out of their polytheism. So he said, I'm anointed and appointed to lead Ishmael's descendants out of polytheism into monotheism, worship of one true god, who is Allah. You know that Allah was originally known as the moon god? Muhammad simply drove the other idols away and made one God. Now the only God, and he, Muhammad, was its messenger. So guess what? Allah was part of a pagan, polytheistic system of worship before being crowned the supreme and only God by Muhammad. Hence, we have the crescent moon, the symbol of Islam, was first the symbol of the moon god, Allah. So that's where you get the crescent moon. Because Allah had been the god, the moon god of the people. So you see the roots are so far removed from Jehovah, creator God, shown to us in the Bible. Islam did not appear until the church of Jesus Christ was more than 600 years old. The church had been moving on. The church had been hugely, massively developed. The church had covered the world when Muhammad launched Islam. Now, Muhammad's interest in establishing Islam seems to be almost entirely driven by a desire for power and a desire to unify that power around one central ideal and one central religion. Now, driving out the other pagan gods the pantheon of more than 360 gods worshipped in the region of Mecca and unifying people around the one God, Allah, the moon God, he effectively unified his power by merging his political power, which had been won, let me say it again, by the sword. He was a military man. And his religious power, where he claimed to be the prophet of the only God worthy of affection. And he, Muhammad, was Allah's only true prophet. See, when you look at the Quran, you've got the writings of one man from his lifetime. When you look at the Bible, you've got the writings of over 40 different individuals over 1,500 years, and they all agree. Yet while the majority of Muslims are not violent people, Violent subjugation has marked Islam from the start. Now, there are many examples of the trail of blood left by this religion. And again, I'm not slamming all Muslims. I'm not slamming anybody. I'm not slamming a human being. I'm wanting you to know the truth about this religion that is making such an impact now as it relates to violence and really atrocities that beggar the imagination. So here we go. Many examples of the trail of blood left by this religion, reaching back just a little bit to the 19th century, the 1800s. 50,000 Greeks and Armenians were massacred by Islamic Turks in 1822. 10,000 Armenians and Nestorians were murdered in 1850. 11,000 Maronites and Syrians in 1860. 15,000 Bulgarians in 1876. 10,000 Armenians in 1894, 325,000 Armenians from 1895 to 1908, 30,000 Armenians in 1909. Now watch this next stat. And 80% of the Armenian population, 1.5 million were wiped out in 1915 to 1918. Well, you say, why the Armenians, Pastor Jeff? Well, because Armenia, if you want to get spiritual about it, was the very first Christian country. So it should be no shock or surprise that satanic Muslim Turks tried to brutally snuff it out in the first genocide of the twentieth century. First genocide was not the Jews in World War II. It was this. In the early 20th century, it was it was. Muslim Turks seeking to totally wipe out the Armenian population. That was the first genocide. In the 1980s and 90s, Muslims in North Sudan were either starving or selling into slavery black Christians in the South. Do you know that? That the Muslim religion has always been associated with slavery. You didn't know that. You're not going to hear that from our media. Oppression against non-Muslims in general, but Christians in particular, has also occurred in Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, Libya, Mauritania, Nigeria, and Tanzania. In 1994, Iran began a campaign of persecution against Christians, but it wasn't the first one in history, that's for sure. Since then, Muslim terror groups like Al-Qaeda, Muslim Brotherhood, and the face of Satan, ISIS. Can I say that? Yes. You want to know what Satan looks like? Look at what they're doing. You see the face of Satan. Yes. Only Satan could bury children alive, burn somebody alive in a cage, crucify young boys. Only, only Satan. You want to know what Satan looks like? Watch ISIS. They have targeted particularly Christians and Jews leading up to now some of the worst atrocities ever witnessed by history, all in the name of Islam. Now, it's very important to note that Islam is a religion of purported revelation. I want you to understand this. This is really going to matter on where I'm going tonight. It is a religion that claims divine revelation. Muhammad Never claimed that he had performed miracles to prove that he was a prophet. When asked what sign he could show to convince the people that God had sent him, he replied that his miracle was the Quran, because no one was able to produce anything like the Quran. The verses of the Quran are called signs, but if you uh, read it in Arabic, it's surahs. Surahs are the verses of the Quran. The primary sources for the knowledge of Islam for a practicing Muslim are the Quran and the Hadith. The Quran is the central source for Muslims. When read by a good reader, the Quran makes a very strong impression. If you read it out loud, man, it sounds authoritative, it sounds convicting, it sounds powerful. But you need to read it all the way through. You read it all the way through. In my humble opinion, it's a frightening book. Muslims treat their copies of the Quran with reverence, often keeping them wrapped in beautiful covers and never placing anything on top of them. That's the Quran. Now, Muslims believe that Muhammad is the last and greatest prophet who listened to the angel Gabriel dictate in Arabic God's precise words, or the Quran, and they believe that the Quran is the perfect word of God for the Muslims. So everybody say with me, inerrant. inerrant. Now you hear me preach all the time about the inerrancy of the Bible, don't you? This is the word of God, the very word of God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. All scripture, that means all of it. So it's all the word of God. But see, they will say that about the Quran. So that's, that's important, because watch this. The very name, Islam, means submission. Now, let me tell you how it's a religion of peace. It's a religion of peace when you submit. you catch that? If you don't submit, it's not a religion of peace. It's a religion of coercion. When you're talking about the way some Muslims are acting today. It's not a religion of peace. Until you submit. Okay, I believe it. I come under Sharia law. I will go with this. This is, this is my book. Muhammad is my prophet. Allah is my God. Then you have peace with them. But if you say, I believe in Jesus Christ and walk with him, and, I, and Muhammad is not my prophet, and Allah is not my God, ask people in the Middle East right now, in Iraq and Iran, and other parts of the Middle East and Europe, what the response is when you say that. Now, here comes the rub. If, as Muslims believe, the Quran is divinely inspired, then Allah has called for the murder of those who don't submit to Islam. I'm going to say that again. If, as Muslims believe, that that Quran is inspired of Allah, in other words, it's divinely inspired and therefore inerrant, and you take it literally like I do my Bible, then Allah has called for the murder of people that are called infidels who don't agree with it. The Quran contains at least 109 verses that call Muslims to war with non-believers, and that would be you, for the sake of Islamic rule. Boy, could I go into, though I don't have time, the various areas of the United States of America that are now caving into Sharia law. Do you know what the closest one is? Irving. Irving City Council needs some phone calls. Because you don't want to be under Sharia law. Let me assure you. Some are very graphic. Some of the surahs or verses out of the Quran with commands to chop off heads and fingers and kill infidels wherever they may be hiding. And again, that's you. Anybody who's not Muslim is an infidel. Muslims who don't join the fight, go into jihad, are called hypocrites and warn that Allah will send them to hell if they do not join the slaughter. Now, unlike nearly all the Old Testament verses of violence, and watch this very carefully because I know what some people say, well, Pastor Jeff, the Old Testament is full of violence. Watch this. The Old Testament verses that deal with violence are verses that were restrained and contained in one historical context. And they're not open-ended, reaching down to today. Not so with the Quran. The verses of violence in the Quran are open ended. They are not restrained by historical context or by the surrounding text. They are part of the eternal, unchanging word of Allah and just as relevant or subjective as anything else in the Quran. Now, there are very few verses of tolerance and peace to abrogate or balance out the many others that call for non believers to be fought and subdued. Until they either accept humiliation, convert to Islam, or are killed. Well, Pastor Jeff, I'm so glad this is way over there in the Middle East. Hey, the enemy is at the gate, church. And we can't even call it what it is. Well, I can, and I'm going to tonight. But Washington won't. Now, again, there, there are millions of, of people in the Muslim faith who would not do anything to me or you. But there's over a billion who claim this as their religion. Let's just say 1% radicalized and said, I'm going I'm to take the Quran literally. That's 10 million people. 10 million. Muhammad's own violent legacy... And that of his companions, along with the pronounced stress on violence found in the Quran, have produced a trail of blood and tears across world history. Listen to some of the verses out of the Quran. Keeping in mind that Muslims believe the Quran to be the very words of Allah given through Gabriel. So this is, they believe, divine revelation. Quran 2, verse 191. This is what Gabriel told Muhammad purportedly. And kill them, unbelievers, wherever you find them, and turn them out from where they have turned you out. Sound like Jesus to you? Quran 3, verse 151. Soon we shall cast what? Say the word louder, all of you. Have you noticed they're called terrorists? We cast terrorists. Soon shall we cast terror into the hearts of the unbelievers. And again, that's anybody that's not is Muslim. Quran 4, verse 76. Those who believe, fight in the cause of Allah. Quran 8, verse 12. I will cast terror, there's that word again, into the hearts of those who disbelieve. Therefore, strike off their heads and strike off every fingertip of them. Divine revelation. If you're Muslim, and you take this book literally, Quran 47, 3-4, to four, those who disbelieve follow falsehood, while those who believe follow the truth from their Lord. So when you meet to fight jihad in Allah's cause... Those who disbelieve, smite at their necks till you have killed and wounded many of them. Then bind a bond firmly. That means take them as captives. This American girl, 25-year-old sweetheart, taken captive, out there trying to help people in the Middle East, her precious family just finds out she was killed like so many others. In the name of Islam, I mean a sweetheart of a girl, an all-American girl. All of these words are in stark contrast to the words of Jesus. Let's look at what Jesus said. I want you to read it with me. Ready? Put away your sword, Jesus told him. Those who use the sword will die by the sword. That sounds like a violent... Savior, do you? The one that wants you to go shed blood, force people to convert? No. Not only that, he's talking to Peter, who had just whacked off this guy's ear. Jesus picked up the ear and put it back on him and healed him. He said, Peter, Peter, don't do this now. He, and he right there, he taught his apostles: we're not about violence. We're about peace, love, salvation, healing, redemption wholeness he told pilate that is jesus my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom if it were my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the jewish leaders do you catch what he's saying he's saying if if my kingdom was of this world i'd have me an army and they would fight for me and they would deliver me from your hand pilate But then he said, my kingdom is not of this world. So guess what? My followers don't fight. And in other places, he said, I could call on 12 legions of angels right now. and They come get me out of here anyway. But I'm not going to do it because I'm called to go to the cross. That sound like a violent savior? Violent religion? Come on, everybody. I know you're freaked out about what's going on in the world. That's why you're here tonight. You want to know something about this, but... Can you see with me this is not a violent religion? So when you hear the the comparison between Christianity and Islamic jihad the more you read the more you study the more you look at history the more ridiculous you realize that is. Concerning enemies, here's what Jesus said about enemies. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. He didn't say go whack off their head or chop off their fingers or kill them. Did he? It's real important what the founder of our faith said because Islam's founder is Muhammad. Our founder is Christ. And I want you to see the difference in the two. Okay, back to President Obama's statements. Was he right in his moral equivalency stating that Christians have done just as bad? There's really no difference between what Christians have done in the Crusades and Islamic Jihad? Let me look a little bit at history. The Crusades were launched in response to Islamic aggression in the Middle East. So I want you to say with me, the Crusades were defensive. They were not Christians saying, let's go conquer the world and kill people and take over land. The the Crusades were defensive in response to Islamic aggression. From the moment that Islam was solidified in Medina under Muhammad, it was characterized... This is the way it was launched. Again, I'm not lumping all Muslims into this, but this is how it was launched. It was characterized by violence rapidly spreading through Europe and the Middle East. Now, I want us to look at a video showing how the Crusades and the spread of Islam by violence stack up against each other in history. And this is just a great illustration, so let's run that video if we could. And then I'm going to come back and close it out with just a little bit more teaching, and, and we'll
1: pray. For Islam, or even a Muslim, and you bring up jihad. Um, I did that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Whenever you're dealing with an apologist for Islam, or even a Muslim, and you bring up jihad. Almost immediately, they kick back to you. Well, what about those terrible crusades? Why, they're the moral justification for jihad. I mean, we're just as bad as they are, so let's not talk about jihad, okay? Let's talk about the crusades. Well, what we'd like to talk about here are facts. And it turns out I sat down and put together some work, and I created a database of some 548 battles that Islam fought jihad battles against classical civilization. And this are not even all the battles. It really doesn't say much about Africa and India, Afghanistan and all that. It's primarily the battles against the classical civilization of Rome and Greece. So 548 battles is a lot and it's too much to even comprehend. So I created something which I call a dynamic battle map in which you have a display of the Mediterranean and a white dot means that this 20-year period that's a new battle. So every time the screen changes It's 20-year period. They then, colors white turn to red, so you can see a history. This may seem a little confusing, but I think when you see it, you'll know exactly what I mean. And here it starts. Islam bursts out of the Arabian Peninsula and immediately starts attacking the Middle East. And notice that it doesn't take long until they're crossing the Mediterranean and attacking southern France and Spain. Notice something here. Most people think of Islam, they think of Arabs, they think of Arabs, they think of desert, and yet here we see that Islam is projecting power throughout the Mediterranean. Notice how the little islands of the Mediterranean are getting hammered. The navy of Islam would attack coastal towns, kill, rob, rape, and then take slaves. So this whole battle map as it unfolds you're seeing slaves being taken. Over a million slaves were taken out of Europe into the Islamic world. That's something you don't think about much, but it's absolutely true. There were over 200 battles fought in Spain alone. And we also see, however, on the east coast in Turkey that Islam is trying to break into Europe. Now, what's going to happen is in Spain, this ongoing fight that lasted for... 400 years, the Christians are going to push back the Muslims. But now then, what has happened over in the East is that Constantinople has fallen, and now then, Eastern Europe is getting hammered. The jihad now comes to Eastern Europe. It's pushed out now of Spain. Northern Africa is now completely Islamic. The Middle East is completely Islamic. This is all jihad, relentless jihad. And why is it so relentless? Well, Muhammad was relentless in his jihad. And these people are good students of Islam, and so it's against the Kafir, on and on. It was traditional that when the Sultan came to power, the brand new Sultan, he would immediately try to launch new wars because he was going to be noted in his Islamic history as to how well he fought against the Kafir. So that's what the jihad looked like over that time period 548 battles but remember when you bring up jihad people want to bring up the crusades so I also prepared a dynamic battle map of all the offensive raids of the crusaders let's watch it and make a comparison and so it begins the crusades enter into Turkey and the Middle East battles go on but aren't there far fewer than you thought there might be and here we go the last battles are fought and that is the end of the Crusades. So now then we can talk about some facts. Yes, there were Crusades, but notice they ended centuries ago and Jihad is being practiced today. Jihad has been with us for 1400 years. There is no comparison between Jihad and the Crusades, certainly not a moral comparison. And when you're looking at the Crusades, remember, in one sense all of the Crusades were defensive wars. Why? Well, as we saw in the first Jihad map, It was Islam that came out of Arabia and conquered the Middle East, a Christian Middle East. And so the crusaders were trying to free their Christian brothers and sisters from jihad. So there's no moral comparison at all. The motivation of the crusaders was to free Christians. Their purpose of jihad is to enslave the kafir. So the next time you hear somebody talk about all those dreadful crusades, you've seen some facts about the matter. Why don't you pipe up and tell them you know you don't really know the matter?
0: Amen. So there you go. Now the first crusade was in 1095. Christians and Christian leaders in Jerusalem and the area of Israel contacted or sent messengers to Pope Urban II. He said, please come and help us. We're being attacked. We're being persecuted. We're being uh, killed. And we need help. So the first crusade was put together by Pope Urban II. To go and, like this gentleman said, free Christians from what Islam and jihad had brought upon them. And I have no problem with, if one is attacked, defending oneself. Amen? Jesus said, turn the other cheek, but he didn't say, let people kill you. No, no, he didn't. Now, if you get persecuted and you become a martyr, that's one thing. But Jesus did not teach passivity where you do not defend yourself or a nation. So I'll go so far as to say there is such a thing as a right, just war. If it's for self-preservation, you better believe it. And um, so there is really just a wonderful uh, illustration of uh, the real truth about this. So, again, I ask you, was the president accurate? In that moral equivalency of comparing, not even close, Uh, on this one topic, I can tell you, he just doesn't know what he's talking about. Amen. Um, Now, I do believe that we're going to continue to see attacks uh, and dreadful things at the hand of these radicalized groups, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, really, and those are one and the same, uh, throughout the Middle East, what I hope and pray, and we're going to pray before we go home tonight, is that either there is a move of God on our current leadership, or God raises up someone or a group of people who will say enough is enough. If we're going to avoid the kind of atrocities we're witnessing in the Middle East, then we need to wake up, stand up, call an enemy what the enemy is, and, and um, fight for our own self-preservation because that's what this is. Now, do I want to take the gospel to them? You better believe it. I'd much rather send a DVD. But do I want to reach them with the gospel? You better believe it. Does God love those people? You better know he does. They're just brought under a deception. And so our prayers are with them. So let's stand up together tonight. Yeah, and if you want to see that video again or show it to other people, it's on my website. Lifetalk.tv. Under Facebook. Facebook. Come on up, Kathy. Yeah. All right, lifetalk.tv, then you go to Facebook and under my messages, uh, this one that I wrote uh, on this uh, recent thing that happened at the prayer breakfast with the president has almost 5,200 reads and it's still galloping. So people want to know about this. So I just tried to bring you some information tonight. I know it's not, you know, breaking open Bible verses to you, but again, So much of the New Testament was the apostles saying, hey, let me show you the difference between real Christianity and this, whatever this was, okay? So let's pray together. Father, we just thank you right now that the truth is in our Lord Jesus Christ and in none other. And Lord, we thank you that you alone died for our sins, rose from the dead, shed your precious blood on our behalf and redeemed us from the enemy and from the curse of sin. And Lord, right now we come to you with these horrible things happening around the world. In the name of Islam, people who are literally taking these verses to behead, to murder, to kill, and are running with it. And Lord, the terror attacks that have happened on our own soil, Fort Hood, this beautiful 25-year-old girl. Lord, so many attacks against the military, not to mention 9-11. Lord, America is under attack in so many ways. And only you, Lord, can put a hedge around this country. But Lord, we know that won't happen until there is a repentance. So Lord, we pray and we cut right to the chase that we need a revival a mighty heaven-sent, holy ghost, sin-cleansing, devil-defeating, Christ-exalting revival. And so, Lord, we pray that you will do it, that you will send it for the sake of so many millions whose lives hang in the balance this very moment. Lord, we pray for our military so under the gun right now, so in such a difficult place. We pray that you will help them, encourage them, that Jesus will reveal himself to them. And we pray that, Lord, you would make yourself real to Muslims all over the world. All over the world. Send angels, send visitations, pull the veil off their eyes. And let them behold the Lord of glory. Father, we come to you with this. Can we lift our hands to the Lord? I just feel so inclined to thank Jesus. Thank Jesus for his goodness, for his mercy, for his grace. We have not come under bondage and deception to such a a terrible thing. But God, by his grace, amazing grace, revealed himself to our hearts. We praise you, Lord. We bless the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing it before we go now, everybody.